0: Good to see you guys. Excited to get in the Word this morning. Isaiah chapter 58 is where we're at. Um, This is our sixth week-long fast that we have done corporately as a church. Uh, We've had a lot of other fasts even throughout this year. Uh, In fact, my alarm went off this morning that today was a day we would normally be fasting and praying for the Nepal missions trip, but I forgot to cancel that on there. So we're fasting anyways today. So uh, exciting. It is an exciting day. It's, it's, it's like the beginning of summer, you know, for our church because we're so excited what God's going to do uh, through this week of pressing into him through our fasting, uh, longing for him with our hunger. Um, would encourage you if fasting is new for you or you know maybe you 're not even really participating right now, get online, go to our web browser, uh, go to our sermon player rather, type in um, fast in the search bar, and about nine or ten different uh, sermons on fasting will come up that we 've taught here and they 're a lot more kind of practical in nature, uh, many of them have a survey through the scripture where we see fasting uh, from Genesis you know. Uh, through the New Testament, and so um, today's message isn't so much kind of a how-to fast type uh, message per se, Um, but uh, very, very excited for what God's going to do, and look forward to getting together with you guys regularly, you know, um, there's just something about getting together, you know, on a Wednesday night, and everyone's stomach's growling here, you know, and we're all just like looking into each other's eyes like, it hurts, doesn't it, like, yeah, it hurts, you know. But at the same time, like, we're like, but he's moving, isn't he? Oh my gosh, yeah, he is moving. It is so exciting. And so we invite you to come be a part of that uh, with us here at Calvary. A uh, few, few quick things before we get into Isaiah 58. First of all, what is fasting? Uh, fasting, uh, just a basic ground level definition is uh, denying the physical to seek the spiritual. All right. Denying the physical to seek the spiritual or ceasing to eat in order to seek God. Ceasing to eat in order to seek God. Uh, You know, there's not a lot of books written on fasting. There's not just a ton of people who like love to fast. So then they go write about it, you know. Um, And uh, in fact, from about 18, early 1800s through 1956, uh, one researcher couldn't find a single book written on fasting, <clears throat> um, except that I ended up finding it this week, and I'm going to quote some things for you, so there was one written, um, <clears throat> but another uh, just incredible sermon on fasting was written in the 3rd century by John Chrysostom, Chrysostom was his nickname, anybody know what it meant? Golden Tongued, okay, so this, this preacher in the 3rd century, he would go on to be a martyr for Jesus, but when he preached, crowds would stand and applause as he was preaching, <laughs> I've never had that before, but you know, no, don't want it either. Uh, And it got so bad, it would be such a distraction during the sermon, that he had to preach a sermon on don't stand up and applaud while I'm preaching my sermons. And guess what everybody did? They stood up and applauded during his sermon. Anyways, uh, he has uh, some incredible resources from the third century on fasting. And so I'm going to quote some of him today. And one of the first things is, we fast to offer our entire selves... the dedication of spiritual things having distance ourselves from secular things that's what we're doing this week and I'm so blessed the grace of God has moved in our church to be a church and to be amidst people that are excited to give our entire selves to all that the Lord has for us and push away from the carnality that is in the flesh, that is in the world, that, that's in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and push into Jesus. Another uh, man that I, I found a book on this week and read the whole thing yesterday um, is uh, his name is Franklin Hall. Uh, Franklin Hall is a pretty well respected uh, book on fasting called Atomic Power with God Through Fasting and Prayer. And many revivals have taken place from people reading his book and and then calling their church to fasting and praying. And uh, the godless sinners in their communities, just by the thousands, would come to Jesus. So uh, a great book. Uh, Some things in there that I don't line up with exactly theologically, but on the the main things and the plain things, um, I I can agree with them. And uh, he writes, this is uh, Franklin Hall. Uh, And so it's a book on Amazon, about six bucks. You can get it on your Kindle if you wanted and read it this week. Uh, But he writes, man's digestive tract becomes a faith organ in fasting. Uh, Our digestive tract becomes a faith organ. And that's what fasting does. Fasting transposes our physical hunger and makes us yearners for God. And every time there's that, you know, that deep belly growl when you're hungry, you just go, ah, hallelujah. (laughs) You'll see it this week, crying out to the Lord. And when we do that, it's amazing to watch the hunger go away and the Lord fill us with himself. You really learn in these times why Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Don't need bread, need God essentially what he told Satan when he was tempted to turn the stones into bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God. Franklin Hall also calls fasting soul hunger. It's my favorite genre of music, by the way. Soul hunger and travail, which moves the hand of God to open the windows of heaven through which God will pour out his spirit and power in a mighty way. Our spiritual progress will be like supersonic speed. He says in his 1946 book, Atomic Power with God Through Fasting and Prayer, that our ultimate aim and desire should be the exalting of Jesus Christ and the glorifying of him. So what's the chief end of our fasting? The glory of God. That's why we fast this week. We'll close with a a verse from Zechariah encouraging us towards that. But that's our chief desire. Without prayer and fasting, every Christian will be more or less marking time and fail in their purpose. The most successful and quickest method is through prayer and fasting. This pleases Jesus, and in pleasing him, we are availing ourselves of great opportunities. And so this time where we somehow, God and his infinite sovereignty, creating body, soul, and spirit. He has connected our stomachs with the pouring out of God and connecting with God and communicating with God. Somehow he knows that when we begin to feel that impulse, that we will press into him with that hunger. Jesus taught on fasting in the Sermon on the Mount. And it was right after he said, when you pray... He said, when you pray, pray like this. And when you fast, don't fast like this. When you pray and when you fast. Now notice that Jesus didn't say, if you happen to ever pray as a Christian, and maybe if you decide to afflict your body through fasting, then this is how you'll want to do it. That's not how he he said. He says, when you do it. When you do it. This will be a practice among Christians. This is something the Lord is calling us to. Two, Andrew Murray, teaching on this coupling between prayer and fasting, going together. By the way, one man said that fasting without prayer is simply a hunger strike. You know, God wants us to be crying out to him as we're hungering. But Andrew Murray, in his book, With Christ in the School of Prayer, a book we read here at the, at the church through the Pulse Prayer Meeting, he writes, Prayer is the hand with which we grab the spiritual... And fasting is the hand by which we let go of the physical. Okay, so when we come in prayer and fasting, we're able to grab hold of the Lord and of His will and of crying out to Him, confessing our sins and adoring Him and worshiping Him and glorifying Him and and supplicating and petitioning Him for for great things and interceding for, for drastic circumstances. But over here on the fasting end, we're putting down the flesh so that we can clearly see and hear the Lord. The time that you would spend eating normally during the week of prayer and fasting, you'll spend in prayer. One statistic showed that preachers, uh, on average, spend about seven minutes a day in prayer. Seven minutes a day. That's the spiritual leaders of the church. So, you kind of wonder, okay, so what's the average of, of, you know, the layperson in the church? What's the average prayer time? Um, maybe it's more than that. Yeah, that could be the case. Uh, But in either case, when we're fasting, and say you fast from one meal a day, you're gaining five or six hours within our week here where you're praying for five or six hours that week. You're crying out to the Lord. Uh, And that only um, multiplies uh, the more you would fast throughout the day. Uh, John Chrysostom writes concerning fasting, when the winter is over and the summer is appearing, kind of like where we're at right now in our seasons here, The sailor draws his vessel to the deep, and the soldier burnishes his arms and makes ready his steed for the battle, and the husbandman sharpens his sickle, and the traveler boldly undertakes a long journey, and the wrestler strips and bears himself for the contest. So too, when the fast makes its appearance, like a kind of spiritual summer, Let us as soldiers burnish our weapons. And as husbandmen, let us sharpen our sickle. And as sailors, let us order our thoughts against the waves of extravagant desires. And as travelers, let us set out on the journey toward heaven. And as wrestlers, let us strip for the contest. For the believer is at once a husbandman and a sailor and a soldier and a wrestler and a traveler. Sharpen thy sickle, which which thou hast blunted through gluttony. Sharpen it by fasting. Lay hold of the pathway which leads toward heaven, rugged and narrow as it is. Lay hold of it and journey on. And how may thou be able to do these things? By subduing thy body and bringing it into subjection. For when the way grows narrow, the corpulent, or the fat and flab, that comes from gluttony is a great hindrance. Keep down the waves of inordinate desires. Repel the tempest of evil thoughts. Preserve the boat. Display much skill. And thou hast become the pilot. But we shall have the fast for a groundwork and instructor and all these things. You guys, it's no coincidence that it's springtime and the buds are on the tree. And it's blooming and it's blossoming and it's getting warm and we're enjoying being outside. It's time for action. The winter has passed. The springtime has come. It's time to sharpen the sickle and get ready to labor. We've been spending our time cooped up indoors, watching seasons and seasons of shows on Netflix, till it's coming out of our pores. It's time to yeah no, I I wouldn't know. It's time to seek the Lord till He comes and rains righteousness on us. Habakkuk says, "Break up the fallow ground. It's time for a harvest." And when the fast appears, get out the weapons. Let's start sharpening them. Let's get sharpening them. Let's get into battle. Let's break out the boats. Let's go on a road trip. It's time for action. There's an excitement about the fast because we have seen God move in incredible ways. And we said last week at our elders meeting, we can't postpone the fast anymore. We can't wait till April. We can't wait till May. We can't put it off because we see this year is already getting, it's getting away from us. And we want God to move in our midst as he's moved in the midst in the past. We've got decisions to make. We've got people that we need to send out to other countries. We've got a mission and a harvest that's ripe Uh, fields that are ripe for the harvest, we can't be dilly-dallying. It's time for business, you guys. It's time to be used by the Lord. One of my favorite movies of all times is Man from Snowy River. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, okay. And I like part two. It's also my favorite, okay? And I'm fasting this week that there will be a part three, okay? But, nonetheless, do you guys remember in part two, when Jim Craig just finds out that someone stole his horses, and so he rides back to his corral on his bay mare, and he rides over there, and there's the buckskin horse in the in the stable, like we're gonna go jump off a cliff, aren't we? Right? That's what it's thinking. And he comes, and he's all, "Get ready, bass. We're gonna head for the hills," you know. And he goes over there, and and you know that scene where he's putting the bridle on and it's all, you know, and he puts the saddle blanket on and he puts the saddle on and the, it shows the buckles, you know, and, it, it, and he is ready for business. And then he takes off. Guys, that is where we're at right now. We're at this part. God is doing something. God's doing something. What, what's he going to do? You know what? So many people in this room have been at the place where they're the horse that's like the little my little pony that's over in the corner and it's like <laughs> someone else will fast for me, you know? In fact, Jesse, I'm going to pick on you. One day, Jesse was here in this sermon on a Sunday morning and he's all, fast smash! Okay? And then the Lord says, oh no, but you're going to fast. And he is a steel building con- contractor, ended up hanging by I-beam, welding, you know, hanging, I don't know which way it was, hanging and welding after not eating for a few days. And and the Lord met him in an an incredible way as he obeyed the call of the Lord. And guys, that's where we're at as a church. We're just like, he's got a mission for us. It's time to sharpen our weapons and go into battle. Okay. Uh, It's summertime. It's not winter time. Let's start moving and shaking for Jesus. Franklin Hall wrote his book on fasting in 1946. Not long after the United States achieved victory over Japan by dropping the atomic bomb, the images and the power of such a huge weapon were surely on this man's mind when he wrote a book entitled it, Atomic Power with God Through Prayer and Fasting. Okay, you can just picture him, it's been like one year since the big bombs were dropped on Japan, and he's like, I gotta think of a title for a powerful work of God, what should it be? Atomic Bomb Power, okay. That's what fasting is, and I'm going to try to fumble my way through a part of his book here where he says, when we speak of atomic power with God, we are using a term expressing something great, uh, and, and atomic power is as good as expression as we could possibly find to fill the bill. We are not exaggerating in the least when we compare fasting and praying with the power of the atomic bomb, because to the Christian, fasting will truly bring atomic spiritual power. And then he quotes, he goes off and he does this whole scientific mumbo-jumbo about pressure per square foot of this bomb drop and all that that happened. And I'll just say this, uh, at one point, uh, in one of the bomb droppings, it was estimated that six tons of pressure per square foot uh, was what would have been not really felt but was what was happening there on Hiroshima or Nagasaki okay so major power he goes into what happened to water or anything else that was around with this when this power dropped on these islands and then he likens it to the power that happens through fasting Uh, he says that General Farrell wrote this isn't a bomb at all these are the fires of the universe And then uh, physicist Walter Graham writes that this is the great natural power that man has discovered. And then here's where Hall writes in. But greater still and more potent is the spiritual uh, atomic power with God that lies available to every Christian. The scientist can now use and harness the power of the material atom, but the Christian can use and harness the dynamic power of the great creator of the atom. As the creator is greater than that which he's created, so is the power wielded by the Christian through fasting and prayer greater than that wielding by the atomic scientist. It is the purpose of this book to show the Christian a sure method whereby he may obtain this mighty power and may be able to move the omnipotent hand of God. This will be our spiritual atomic jet propulsion power. Here's a guy that's just getting into, you know, the jets and all that kind of stuff of his day. And, and that's where we're at, you guys. We're pushing the turbo button on our Christianity this week. This is a time of trust thrust for our church. And God has been faithful to deliver. In church history, we have Martin Luther, who fasted for days at a time while translating the Bible. And no doubt, that's, why, that's the secret behind such a great translation uh, from Latin. Luther was criticized because he fasted too much. John Calvin fasted and prayed until most of Geneva turned to God. George Whitfield has an interesting testimony, little known as about him, but George Whitfield was really one of America's first celebrities. About 80% of all the American colonists had heard him preach at least once. And other than royalty, his name was one name that everybody in the colonies of America knew. The Great Awakening, the early Great Awakening was sparked largely by Whitfield's preaching from 1739 to 40 when he came over from England. Though he was only 25 years old, this evangelist took America by storm. When he was leaving, he preached a farewell message in Boston Commons and 23,000 people showed up, which was bigger than the population of Boston itself. Whitfield preached at both Harvard and Yale Harvard, it was reported that the college was entirely changed. The students were full of God. Brutal mobs would often come and attack Whitfield and his followers, maiming people and stripping women naked. Whitfield received three letters with debt threats, and once he was stoned until nearly dead, he usually woke up at 4 a.m. and began, began preaching at 5 or 6 a.m. In one week, he would preach over a dozen times and spend more than 40 or 50 hours in the pulpit. There's so much to say about him, but it's interesting that uh, in his search for God before his conversion, Whitfield fasted to the point that he broke his health and under doctor's orders was confined to bed for seven weeks. Uh, That practice lasted throughout uh, the rest of his life and no doubt contributed to the power behind his ministry. It's interesting that uh, a couple years ago I read a book by a man named Brother Yun. Uh, Brother Yun is a Chinese man that, uh, I don't know, I can't remember exactly the testimony of how he became a Christian, but he didn't have a Bible and longed to have the Word of God. And so he fasted for 40 days so that that he would have a Bible. And after 40 days of fasting and praying, he ended up getting a Bible. And from there, this large revival happened uh, in China. And he would be arrested and beaten and cruelly imprisoned and punished. And uh, and there's one account he writes in his biography, there's other guys that debate it, uh, that he fasted for 76 days in his prison cell. And the story is told in his autobiography that the prison cells ended up opening of their own accord, much like in Acts chapter 12, And he was able to walk out past the very vision of the guards and leave the prison to continue preaching uh, the gospel. And China has done an investigation into his escape and says there's no way that we can say we don't know how he escaped from our prison. It wasn't by any natural means, we can tell you that. Uh, Later on, he would be arrested again and he would be out in the yard of the prison and be lifted up by some hand, lifted up over the wall and set on the other side and told to go continue preaching the gospel. Now, that's an incredible testimony of fasting. And uh, I think something that brings a little bit of legitimacy to it, uh, for me at least, is that uh, Jack Reed, who is our contact in Nepal, who came and spoke here in November, you he might have heard his sermon and we're here. Uh, he was telling a testimony of uh, being in London, driving down the street when the Lord spoke to him and said, You need to help a wise man from the east get to Jerusalem. He didn't have a clue what that meant. Sounded like some Christmas carol or something like that, didn't know what it meant. Until later on, I believe he was over in South Korea in a warehouse, when an Asian man came up to him and said, I'm a wise man from the East, and you need to help me get to Jerusalem. Later on, he would find out that this was Brother Yun. And Brother Yun and Jack are best friends, and it was Jack who helped get Brother Yun out of the uh, danger that he was in and over to be exiled in Germany. Um, And so something that's so exciting about all this is that we believe our testimony of a church is it's through our week of prayer and fasting that God looked down from heaven and called Calvary Chapel of Crook County to be a part of this grand plan of getting this man to Jerusalem. Now, it's not that this dude wants to go to Jerusalem for, you know, I really would like a tour of the Holy Land. He believes, it's his theory, that uh, the gospel can be reached up through the Himalayas where we've been going, that it'll be like a dam that's broken and the water of the gospel will flow up through the Middle East into Jerusalem, uh, you know, ushering in the day of the Lord. And so kind of an exciting thing nonetheless, but Brother Young, a testimony of fasting and praying and neat to see a little bit of the, uh, you know, the, the connection of our church there through Jack. John Knox was a reformer. He fasted and prayed and the wicked Mary, Queen of Scots, said that she feared no weapon like she feared John Knox's prayers. Jonathan Edwards, who was God's instrument in the revival of New England, fasted and prayed for 22 hours prior to preaching his sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. John Wesley would fast twice a week. Charles Finney, one of the greatest revival leaders in history, was a man who fasted and prayed. D.L. Moody was familiar with fasting and prayer. Uh, Billy Graham reports fasting and praying during his voyage to England in the early 1950s that kick-started his career as an evangelist. So wonderful testimonies uh, in church history of fasting and prayer. Uh, All throughout the scriptures, there's incredible uh, testimonies of how uh, fasting was the key that unlocked the door that no other keys could open. God bringing decisive victories in battle because of fasting. Giving specific prophecies of end times because of fasting and prayer. Helping guide people and nations. Delivering from oppression and wickedness. Uh, Fasting has an incredible place in the life of a Christian and a Bible-believing Uh, Christian at that Uh, a couple questions here what should I fast from well to fast simply put means not to eat okay Uh, so we will be fasting from food now all people can probably fast to some degree from food but those with serious medical conditions should consult a doctor first there's three basic types of fast there's what's called a total fast Which means no food, no water. And in Esther, uh, we see that it should be no more than three days. We've had a few men in our church do total fast because they're at such an urgent place in their walk. They need the Lord to move and to come through in such a way that they couldn't even drink water. We need you, Lord, that bad. It's urgent. Uh, Then there's the complete fast, which is only water. We will only drink water. Uh, Studies show that one can go 40 to 60 days Or until hunger returns. And so, typically, in your fast at about day four, you'll stop feeling hunger pains, and you got to just kind of beat the habit of always going to the fridge. It's more of just habit stuff that you've got to kick and you've got to conquer. But after day four, typically, you can fast till about day 40 and not feel hungry. Uh, And so, Jesus fasted to day 40, and then uh, once you start feeling hungry again, your body started eating itself uh, into the vital organs and it's time to eat some food. But we're not calling you to that. We say be led by the Spirit in regards to that. We're doing a six-day fast. And you need to pray about what the Lord would have you do. I would suggest and recommend uh, definitely fasting from some kind of food, something that you crave at the very least. And then on top of that, it's also good to fast from other things that distract us from the voice of God and that compete for our affections like TV and social media and always having to watch the news and always have, you know, things like that and always having to have that coffee and always having to, and just give that to the Lord this week and just come and press in to the spiritual things. Uh, encouraging our children to fast as they grow up and as we're making disciples of our children and in the car on the way back from spring break uh, yesterday, talking to Russell and Lainey about fasting. And they're getting familiar with the discipline now as uh, they're growing older. And I'm just, hey, Russell, can you uh, just explain fasting to me? And he says, fasting is kind of like Jesus grounding us. (laughs) (laughs) I can't watch TV. I can't play my video games. You know, I'm like, okay, that's not exactly right. But it's good to... Uh, to turn away from the physical things to seek the spiritual. Matthew Henry said, Fasting is a laudable practice, and we have reason to lament that it's generally neglected among Christians. And so we would invite you this week to come and be a part of the fast of this church. Even if you're a beginner, uh, just come and learn. And it's okay, you're going to come. We have people, they come and they... Like first two days, it's like oh yeah, and then like the third day, they're like I ate half my refrigerator last night, you know. And it's like hey, we're still pressing into Jesus here. Let's keep going. Like okay, then they fast for a few more days and they make it to the end. And and by the way, no matter what, come on Saturday to the break the fast soup pot. Like it is one of the most special things we do as a church, and we spend hours just sharing what God has done in our lives and in our hearts. It's such a wonderful time. So come. Great time of celebration. Let's get in the word. We're in Isaiah chapter 58 verse 1. How was that for an introduction? Pretty good? Okay. <clears throat> Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Isaiah had the honorable yet difficult job of speaking words of correction and exhortation to the children of Judah. Judah. It was a tough job, somebody had to do it, and he was specifically called in the early chapters of Isaiah. It would end in him being martyred, sawn in two. The Lord told Isaiah, do not hold back. This is a strong word that I have for my people. The transgressions and the sins that the Lord called Isaiah to proclaim to his people were so serious that the prophet needed to grab their attention with loud announcements and was shouting. Verse 2 says, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinances of their God. They asked of me the ordinances of justice, and they take delight in approaching God. This is a people who totally have the outward appearance of religion down. They're at plenty of churchy things and are heaping up for themselves knowledge. They act as if everything is good with God and as if they'd not been living in blatant disobedience to him. In verse 2, they're essentially saying, if I just punch my time card at all the religious mumbo-jumbo, I'll be in with Yahweh, and he'll wink at my sin and rebellion and sweep it under the rug. And the Lord's going to tell Isaiah, uh, through Isaiah that these, to these Judeans, that's not so. I don't just wink at sin. It's very similar to Matthew 15, 8, when Jesus says, these people, the Pharisees, the Jews, draw near to me with their mouth, they offer me lip service, honoring me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The Lord wants our hearts, our entirety. John chapter 5 also speaks to this nation's situation. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. It's not about religious observances. It's not about being at every Bible study that you can cram into your schedule. Bible study is incredible and awesome. The word of God is living and active and it's sharp and it discerns the thoughts and intents of the hearts and all of these wonderful things. But there's one problem. If we are just hearers of the word and Bible study folks that never do the word and apply the word, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And we become the Pharisees of John chapter 5. Verse 3, they say, Why have we fasted, they say? And you've not seen. Why have we afflicted our souls? And you take no notice. Essentially, they say in their religiosity, Come on, God, don't you see that we're dancing here for you? (laughs) Kind of trying to distract from the sin over here. Look over here. Look over here. Why aren't you watching? Why don't you see us jumping through the hoops of religion? Isn't that what you wanted? But the Lord answers, In fact, the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. The Lord's response to them comes in the form of a word of knowledge. He knows what is going on behind the scenes of their religiosity. This verse serves as a good guide for how not to fast and what not to do during a fast. As the NRSV says, look, you serve your own interests on the fast day. You oppress and exploit all of your workers. You're a jerk as a boss. That's not what fasting is for. The NIV says your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. They're getting in okay corral fights out there and it's the week of prayer and fasting. Just as Jezebel's fast led to the murder of Naboth, there's a wicked form of fasting going on here. And the Lord says to Isaiah, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Verse 5, is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Now the day of atonement was the one day that was given by the law to spend sacrificing for sin and mourning in sackcloth and ashes. The Jews and their religiosity had taken it further. In Luke 18, 12, we see that the, the Pharisee bragged about, I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. God is saying through Isaiah, did I command you to do all of this religious stuff? This is just a man-made yoke and a law that you have put on yourself to appear to feel more self-righteous and holier than the next man. This is not any ordinance that I've made up for you. Verse 6, he shows the ordinance that he did make up. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? And that you break every yoke? So here's a good fast. And here's how to fast. First of all, to loose the bonds of wickedness. In your life, in your personal sin, in your bad habits. And not only in you personally, but in others. Even in people in far-off lands, we can fast for bonds of wickedness to be broken in them as well. Secondly, to undo heavy burdens. Literally, it means to loose the bonds of a yoke, uh, the yoke implement on a plowing oxen. To let the oppressed go free. But the Jews were making more people oppressed with their fasting. And to break every yoke beautiful things here that fasting accomplishes in the life of a Christian that's fasting correctly. And each one of these, there might be a personal application and the need for personal freedom and deliverance by Jesus. But this fasting can go beyond us and we can be fasting for our town, for our region and for the rest of the world that there would be redemption there as well. Dr. Constable from Dallas Theological Seminary picture him with a monocle in his eye like one one little eyeglass thing He writes, to loose the chains of injustice, the fetters of wickedness, points to the need to labor for the abolition of every way in which wrong social structures or wrongdoers in society destroy or diminish the due liberty of others. To untie the cords of the yoke refers to the need to eliminate every way in which people are treated like animals. So what are we doing this week in our fasting and praying? We're fasting and praying for those that are sex trafficking victims right now. All over the world. In Oregon, in Las Vegas, all the way over to Russia, all the way over in Nepal. Little kids uh, and older women alike that have just been brutalized. Human trafficking. Hundreds of thousands of children and women, little boys facing 30 customers a day forced and beaten and raped, um, abused and entrapped. The Spirit of God has been calling us to be champions of liberty and freedom for these people and to give them a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, to point them to Jesus. If you weren't able to watch the nefarious movie last night, you can rent it on Amazon. uh, And uh, man, it shows the hope that's found in Jesus in the midst of what seems the most hopeless circumstance in trafficking. Slavery is such a very real problem in our day. We thought it was all abolished back in the late 1800s, but we've learned in Nepal that there's fishing boats in Thailand where they bring in boys, young men, to work night and day for months on end, and when they're not needed anymore at the end of the season, they just shoot them and throw them overboard. It's the type of slavery that is just rampant in the world. Burkina Faso was the African country that me and my wife are try- my wife and I were trying to adopt from. I see you looking at me, Ron Halverson. Where are you? Yeah, there you are. My wife and I were attempting to adopt from Burkina Faso, and, and the door ended up being shut by the Lord. But one reason that we were burdened for that nation is that there's still slave labor. 75% of the women are mutilated, and child labor is just forced upon these children. Uh, And so our heart was to go and to rescue them and to bring the gospel to them. Uh, The orphans, uh, in Nepal we learned that orphans are kidnapped, or actually they aren't orphans, they're kids in their village who are kidnapped to pad numbers in the orphanages so that they might receive more government supplements. This kind of stuff is going on in the world, and the Lord has called us to be a bearer of light in the midst of this darkness. And so this fast, I know we're going to be pressing into Lord What can we do as a little tiny congregation to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to those that are oppressed? In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We long for people, and it's people here, it's people here in this room that are oppressed, there's, there's habits, there's addiction, there's struggles that the Lord wants to free you from this week. Isn't that a glorious thought that you can be freed and done with that? What hope there is. I read of a man yesterday who uh, was underweight, super unhealthy, addicted to cigarettes, fasted, uh, was fasting for 14 days, and by the third day, all cigarette um, desire was gone. Never smoke a cigarette again, and he gained the weight that he needed for his body size to the pound during the fast, you know, like that's what the Lord does in fasting. He works health in the spiritual realm that doesn't line up with the economy of our physical realm, but we want to be passionate for undoing heavy yokes of people around us in this room and abroad. William Wilberforce, who was a British champion of freedom, helped, you know, not single-handedly, but by the grace of God and with a couple others, uh, led the freedom of the slaves in England, and he writes, If to be feelingly alive to the sufferings of my fellow creatures is to be a fanatic, I am one of the most incurable fanatics ever permitted to be at large. So we're fasting and praying this week that God would make us incurable fanatics. For the unreached and unengaged people, groups of Nepal, who high up in the mountain have never heard the name Jesus before, they know enough about God to condemn them in hell forever. And who's going to go tell them about Jesus? We fast and pray to be incurable fanatics for the unreached and the unengaged and for the oppressed. That's the gospel. In Luke chapter four, the spirit of the Lord God was upon Jesus and it anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty those who had been oppressed, those that were captives. That's what he came and said, I have come to do that. And at the end of this section, he says, this scripture from Isaiah has been fulfilled in your hearing here in Nazareth. Then after his death, burial, resurrection, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon Christians, that same Spirit has been anointed upon us to go and preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty those that have been captives, and to release those who are oppressed. It's the gospel. God's called us to be Christians, little Christ to this world, representing him. Verse 7 of our text Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? How incredible that the Lord has fasting as a means of humanitarian aid and social justice in the name of Jesus. And how wonderful that we've been in the book of James now for some time as a church. The book of James, shoe leather Christianity that shows us faith in action. James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us that a serious test on whether or not we can tell if someone is born again, filled with the Spirit, and has an actual saving faith is that how are they taking care of the poor, the hungry, the naked brother, specifically. Daniel chapter 4, verse 27, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was wicked, was told to repent by the Lord through the prophet Daniel. Daniel, And Daniel said, here's how we know you've repented, wicked Nebuchadnezzar. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. That is one way to show that the mercy of God has come upon you is that it just naturally flows off of you and to the people around you. Dr. Constable says, no religious observance has value for Jehovah that is not supported by a godly law-abiding life and compassion towards those in need. I'd strongly encourage you to take the money that you would normally put towards food this week and give it to the Redemption House Ministry in town or the Bethlehem Inn or the Shepherd's House uh, in Bend, places that are helping feed the poor in this area and this community. Uh, I'd strongly encourage you to donate it to the Benevolence Fund of the church where we're always putting people up in hotels, buying people meals, things like that. And even more so to start donating to the, to the uh, Mountain Child and to Nefarious and to these uh, ministries that help people who are in dire straits like this. It's what God's called us to do in this time of fasting. How interesting that in John Chrysostom's third century sermon, he almost sounds like James when he says, I have an admonition for you. Do you fast? Give me proof of it by your works. Does that sound familiar to anybody? James, we're in that, right? Like you say you have faith, prove it to me by your works. Your faith is going to have an outflowing of works. Do you fast? Let's see it in the works that come from your fasting. Chrysostom says, I've said these things, not that we may disparage fasting, but that we may honor fasting. For the honor of fasting consists not only in abstinence from food, but in withdrawing from sinful practices. Since he who limits his fasting only to an abstinence from meats is one who especially disparages it. The Lord has called us in our fasting to love on the poor and to actually bring them into our house. You know, we used to have a soup kitchen here, the Oasis Soup Kitchen, for six years. We operated it, managed it, facilitated it, uh, preached the gospel there. The Lord brought that season to a close. It was actually a ministry that was hurting people more than helping people. That's a whole other uh, understanding of missions. That we can actually hurt people by trying to help them. Uh, that doesn't mean that we're done. And I really feel like the Lord wants to give us fresh vision unto how to reach this community of those that are poor and that are hurting and those that are broken. All that to be said is there was a gal from the Oasis who began to come to the church. Uh, she really struggled with meth addiction uh, and would come and she would be high. And when she was high, she was high and loved Jesus. And when she was low, she was getting arrested and getting, you know, beating people up and all kinds of things like that. And uh, it came winter wintertime uh, and she didn't have a place to stay and it was snowing out. And uh, couldn't really find a place for her, you know, and people aren't just like, oh yeah, opening up their homes. You know, it's a, it's a struggle for us. And, uh, you know, I just was frustrated. I was frustrated. You know, I had that kind of self-righteous, red-blooded American in me that was like, it's her own fault, you know. And I ended up going home and sitting down at lunch with Lindsay after just trying to figure out where she could go that night. And I'm just like, how's this on me? This is her own fault. She, you know, did this and did that. And, you know, uh, know, she needs to just find a job. That's what she needs to do. She needs to get out there. You know, have we not? Nobody's been there. Okay, me neither. Just hypothetically a guy that did that. And I'm there eating. I'm sitting around our table. I'm eating shoyu chicken and rice. It's a Hawaiian dish. And I'm just like, (ありがとうございます) She needs it. It's her own fault. And the Lord, in his mercy and grace, reaches down out of heaven (laughs) and touches my heart. It was like he pushed a button. And I'm in the middle. Like literally have the words coming out of my mouth. And the Lord shows me his grace in my life. That it's his grace that that's not me. It's not because I'm hard working. My dad taught me work ethic and blah, blah, blah. And I never, I said no to drugs. and No. It's God's unmerited, unearned favor in my life. And in the middle of, raw, 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 that happens. And I start wailing, bawling, sobbing, food coming out of mouth, tears falling down the eyes, snot coming out of my nose. Raw, 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 you know? Because I saw myself and how wicked I was being at that moment. And Lindsay gets back from the table and is like, whoa, (laughs) the Lord just spoke to you, didn't he? And I was like, yeah, we are bringing her into our house tonight. We are going to fix up our basement and build a bathroom down there and we're going to build a place for her. Our home is her home. And that night we brought her in and for months... She lived with us. She spent Christmas with our family. We exchanged presents, all of that stuff. Sadly, she's backslidden. Sadly, she's around town and we see her and she's not walking with the Lord. But we were able to ornament the gospel through opening up our homes. It's gonna say in a few verses, extending our soul to the hungry. That the Lord had opened up us like for that in this church. That our couch would be their couch. That that spare bedroom is their bedroom. That that shower is there. But they have a past. They have a history. The parole officer... Guys! What is our fasting for? Is it not to love on them tangibly with food, clothing, and shelter? It is. It is. Ezekiel says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father is, Well, the soul of the son is mine. The soul whose sins shall die... But if a man is just and does what is right and lawful, if you jump down to verse 7, if he has not oppressed anyone but has restored to the debtor his pledge, has robbed no one by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing, jump down to verse 9, if he has walked in my statues and kept my judgments faithfully, he is just, he shall surely live. How do we know someone's been justified? They've been born again? They have the Spirit of the living God living in them? They are the Ezekiel 18 man and woman. Loving on people, pouring out of their resources, the grace of God. Those are the ones who are just. How about when we're fasting and spending this week longing for God with our hunger? not purchasing the food we would normally buy or spending hours in the day preparing meals and being fixated on what we're going to eat next and what our stomach wants. And when we drive through Bend by the Best Buy and there's the man there with the sign or there's the person who's you know, asking for some bread or there's the person who's asking for some clothes and the place to stay. Lord, help us if especially during this week we shrug the shoulders and are indifferent to them. The answer to such a fast, a fast that loves on the poor, is verse 8. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. My sermon today is titled, normally you say this at the beginning, but 20 Stellar Results from Fasting. And we're on number five right now. Rays of light breaking forth, bursting out, and splitting out like the sunrise shining over the mountain ridges. That's what happens in the Christian's life when they fast in a righteous manner, as we've had described to us. Your healing, number six, shall spring forth speedily. Are you sick? Ill, cancer, tumors? How's your fasting life been? And in your fasting, how's your been given to the poor? And have you been prayed for? And I would just encourage you this week, if you're sick, you got back problems. We had two chronic back problems healed last year. One guy couldn't sleep a whole night since he was 16 years old. He was in a car accident. He's probably 55 right now. Couldn't sleep a whole night since he was 16 years old. We prayed for him at the end of the fast. He was healed. He slept like a baby that night. Another guy, doctor says his discs and his back are like chalk. They're just like snapping and breaking and all that stuff and just chronic pain. We were cleaning up from the fast dinner and he could barely move. So he was prayed for and he was healed that night from that chronic back issue. Do you need healing? Let's have the church called to pray for that, for your body this week. It'll spring forth and sprout and grow. That's what the healing will do. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. That's seven and eight. Righteousness going in front of you, the glory of the Lord in the back of you. It's the picture of the Shekinah glory of the Lord in the pillar of the cloud, and the pillar of fire that led and protected the children of Israel. Leading, guiding, protecting. You can read about it in Exodus 14, 19. In verse 9, it says, Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, Here I am. Sounds great. But there's this clause here. If. If you take away the yoke from your midst. Have you been oppressive? Have you been brutal? It says here the pointing of the finger. That means sending out of the finger. That means something in our day. Giving the finger. Cursing people. Doing that during your fasting. Put that away. Put away speaking of wickedness. The ninth thing that we see here is results, a stellar result of fasting. is you will call on the Lord and the Lord will Answer, you'll cry and he'll say, here I am. Isn't that amazing? Relationship with God. In times of fasting like this, where the spirit of the Lord compels us to mercy ministries and social justice causes in the name of Jesus, the Lord moves. He answers our cries. And my personal testimony with my first fast is that I was being sent out of Corvallis, but we didn't know where to pastor a church. And I had a few months to figure it out. And so I fasted with the church and I read through the Psalms. And all through the Psalms, it says, I cried to the Lord, and he answered. I cried to the Lord, and he answered. I cried to the Lord, and he answered. And I wrote that in my journal. I'm crying out to you. I need to know where to go. And it wasn't during the week that he answered. I remember getting really frustrated with the Lord. Where's the answering? A few months later, he answered. He answered, and he opened up an incredible door for my family and I to come and to be a part of what God's doing here in Prineville. Call on the Lord. Verse 10 If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness or your gloom shall be as the noonday. Again, social justice and mercy ministries in the name of Jesus ought to accompany fasting. But what does it look like to extend your soul to the hungry and afflicted soul? Guys, we see it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He who was rich became poor so that we, through his new poverty, would become rich in him. That's extending your soul. And that's what God's calling us to do to those around us this week. The tenth stellar result. Your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness or your gloom will be as the noonday. In the darkest part of your life, after enduring your fast, will be as shiny and bright as the noonday sun. These are dramatic results of the Spirit of God shining on a person's life. Verse 11, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. What's the result of fasting and prayer in righteous ways? Number 11, the Lord will guide you continually. Are you in a drastic life decision moment? Thinking of moving, thinking of getting married, thinking of uh, selling a house, buying a house, selling a car, buying a truck? this, that, the other, big life choices, need to know the decisions from the Lord, fast, fast, man, oh man, I feel for you if you make big life choices without fasting and praying and crying out to the Lord, look in Ezra chapter 8 verse 21, Ezra proclaimed a fast at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God, so by the way, fasting is a way of humbling yourself before the Lord, and secondly, to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. Do you need direction? Do you need to know, you know, I don't know how to discipline my kids. I don't know how, should I homeschool my kids? Should I put them in public school? What's up with his attitude, you know? Should I take the Xbox away? Should I give an Xbox? Should I, you know, what? I don't know. What's your right way for how I train up my little ones? What's fast and pray? The Lord will bring direction. Had a man in first service who's visiting. They just had an offer accepted on a house uh, up here in Prineville. He's from Sacramento and he's visiting, doing some house stuff. And he's like, That word was for me. I got to go fast and pray to make sure that this is the Lord, that we're moving here, and me and my wife. And he's like, We've gotten wisdom from our wise counselors, our pastors, our elders. We've been searching the scripture, we've been praying, but we haven't fasted yet. I think that was a word for us. It's like, No, no, come, come. You should come here. Um, No, I'm kidding. Twelfthly, satisfy your soul in drought. In times like this with the Lord, you will eat and drink and be satisfied when there's nothing for you to eat or drink or be satisfied with. You'll be having the the strength of a deer jumping over a fence. Verse 13 says, the Lord will strengthen your bones. Kind of like that. My mom is a sweet gal and always a smile on her face, all that. And I remember even when my friends would come over, and you know when your friends come over and they say something inappropriate and your mom has to kind of rebuke them, she would do this little like rabbit bounce or something over and go, we don't say that word in this house, you know, or something. If you know my mom, you totally picture her. (laughs) But she's the secretary and the women's ministry uh, coordinator over there in Corvallis. And uh, one of her sayings to people as they're coming or going, she'll just go, oh, bless your little bones. Bless your little bones. Love it. Everyone loves it. You should love it too. It's what the Lord does in fasting. He blesses your little bones. Literally girds your body and limbs to make ready for fighting. Sorry. Fourteenth thing, you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. All you farmers and green thumbs out there, you know when that Water and the sprinklers are going, and you can just hear it hitting the leaves and saturating the ground. How wonderful that is. In the New Testament, we can look back on this chapter and realize that it's speaking of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. In John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, it was on the last day, the great day of the feast, that Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus has died and risen and ascended to the Father, and he sent the Comforter, the Helper, the Holy Spirit to be in and upon us for power. So we fast for waters that do not fail. And that's something that we're going to specifically press into this week in our prayer and fasting, for outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us, so that we would have boldness and direction for preaching the gospel. In fact, that theme of the spirit-filled church in the book of Acts, we just want to read the book of Acts together, pray and, and look at the book and say, Lord, would you just let us be as this church, as the book of Acts church. Verse 12, Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of streets to dwell in. I love this verse. Building the old waste places. All those things that our forefathers have, have, you know, since then, we've neglected, we've set aside. Things like gifts of the Spirit and, and, you know, we're theological continuous here in this church. We believe the gifts are for today and yet we're practical cessationists, which in this church, it's like, do we believe the gifts are for today because we're not seeing them happening? Not all of them anyways. Lord, let us start using the fullness of the gifts that you have for us. Let us rebuild and build the old waste places. The story is told of Isaac, who, after his father Abraham died, Isaac went back into the land of his father, and all the wells that Abraham dug had been filled in with dirt by the Pharisee or by, by the Philistines. And so he went and he redug the wells of his father, and he'd go over here, and this well is filled, and he'd redig that well and fill them up with water or they would be filled with water, however that works. That's what the Lord desires us to do. Coming back, first of all, to this practice of prayer and fasting that's been tossed and filled in with dirt, come back to that and build these waste places. Verse uh, The 16th thing is that we will raise up the foundations of many generations. Man, you look at that fasting can... bring freedom to the oppressed and loose the oppressed and undo heavy yokes. With that in mind, the theme of lives that have been ruined by sin and destruction and oppression and abuse and slavery and trafficking, so many of whom are children who have no hope, no life, no generation. It'll be men and women with the Spirit of God upon them who will bring hope and a foundation for many generations, both here and abroad. That God would bring hope to the generations Through this church, as we pray and fast, we see the 17th thing is you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. It's the church, the body and bride of Christ, endued with the power of the Holy Spirit as a well-watered garden, bringing life it will bring hope to this dark world. In Ezekiel, we see that the people and the leadership over Judah were oppressing the Judeans. Verse 29 of Ezekiel 22 says, The people of the land have used oppression, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. And so the Lord sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Now the beautiful news is that Jesus is the man. He's the hero of the text. He's the one who stood in the gap and brought a peace. We were separated from God by the giant chasm of sin, but Jesus came and stood in the gap for mankind. Now he wants to make us a people who will proclaim that it was he who stood in that gap for the world. He's the repairer of the breach. We get to be a part of that. We are going to be a restorer of the streets to dwell in. We don't have time to read it, but in Psalm 10, a few weeks ago, we studied that the wicked people go into the villages of the poor and lurk in, in like a lion, ready to pounce. They see a poor person or someone that's hurting or someone that's hungry and they go pounce on them and they either murder them or they take them away captive in a net. And it was incredible to read that because we, the, you know, the, the nation that we happened to be praying for and the trafficking that was going on in Kenya at the time, we were just crying out that the Lord would save girls out of trafficking in Kenya. Uh, and boys out of trafficking. But we see the wicked, they're doing that. And you watch Nefarious, and they look for the poor people, they look for the weak weak people, and then they go pounce on them to lead them away captive. But the same psalm says, Come on, king, rise up, O king. With your strong arm, break their arm and make them pay. We cried out that the Lord would rise, and that's what we're doing this week, that there would be a restoration of streets to dwell in uh, in these villages that we know so well we're getting to know. Verse 13, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Since the resurrection of Jesus, our main day of worship and gathering is not on the Sabbath Saturday, but it's on Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate that Jesus is alive, and in one week from today, we're going to celebrate that same fact. Though it's not on Saturday, we still have this call to set apart a day for concentrated prayer, worship, and fellowship, keeping a day holy to the Lord, and yet that's not what we so often want to do with that day, is it? That's just another day off to many of us. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 tells us that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. But all the more, as we see the day of the Lord approaching, we're to come and gather together. I like that verse, you know, it's so specific, saying you want to do what you want to do on my holy day, should not be so. Verse 14, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. The 18th thing is that you'll delight yourself in the Lord. Man, do you find that I got no use for Jesus? I have no delight in him. The things of the Lord, this whole worship thing, and just sitting in here, and it's hot, and it's long, and this guy's the most long-winded guy I've ever heard in my life, and oh my goodness, and I don't read my Bible, and I don't know how to pray, and I don't like to worship, and I don't delight in the Lord. Guys, it's time to take your heart and beat it hot on the anvil of prayer and fasting. Watch what the Lord will do. He will put a delight for him in your heart. He'll cause us to ride on the high hills of the earth. Can I say that again? He will cause us to, see if you're going to see where I go with this. He will cause us to ride on the high hills of the earth. I believe that this is a word for us for this fast, for this church concerning our ministry to Nepal and the unreached people groups in the highest parts of the world in the Himalayas. That through our fasting and through our prayer, he's done it already this year. He's caused us to ride on those high, high hills, but he's got more for us. Taking the gospel and the message of the gospel to the highest places. So let's press into delighting ourselves in him this week. He'll cause us to ride high on those hills. For what purpose? The 20th and last thing today He will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. Big deal, right? Boring. Feed you with the heritage of Jacob, my father. How's that apply to me? What's the heritage of Jacob, our father? Well, it starts with his grandpa, Father Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, Abraham, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In you, or Galatians commentates on it, in your seed, singular, Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, through Abraham's loins, all the nations, that can be translated, all the families of the earth, the smallest people groups, all of them will have a blessing from the Lord Jesus. The same promise is given to Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis twenty six four. The verse just closes, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And then the same promise is given to Jacob in Genesis twenty eight fourteen. In your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, what is the heritage of Jacob that we get when we're fasting? We get to go right on those high hills, delighting in the Lord. And preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. The heritage of Abraham is that it's in his seed. All the nations will be blessed by knowing Jesus. That's what we're pushing for. What's the end goal of our fast here? Man, there are 20 stellar reasons for fasting. Wonderful results. Watered gardens and being guarded and protected and being guided. And this and that and that and this and all. 20 things. But the chief one, it was save the best for last. That people would know the saving ways of God and they will rejoice in him and give him glory. That's what it's about this week. Come on up, worship team. Zechariah 7 5 says, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests when you fasted and mourned on the fifth and seventh months during those seven years, did you really fast for me? For me? Guys, in all that we might be fasting this week for, health and healing and deliverance, children, family members getting saved, praying and fasting for our president, for our government, and for our nation, and that we'd be delivered from sin, it all comes down to fasting for the Lord. Let's stand. As Spurgeon said, the days of fasting and prayer at Metropolitan Tabernacle have been high days indeed. Never have our hearts been more close to the central glory of God. I think we have that same testimony here at this church. And I know, guys, I know you're looking at this week, six days, brutal. It's a long week. I'm a working man. There's no way. Fast smash. I'm a Rogers. I love to eat. I've gained 10 pounds in the last month and a half since I got back from Nepal. If there's anyone who's like, fast smashed, we'll just not do that and just pray harder. Okay? Okay? That'd be me, but the Lord calls us to fast, and he's been so faithful in the past, so come join us, won't you? Come join us, and it's okay to learn and grow, and you know, I'm just going to fast from dessert this time. Awesome. Come and spend your dessert time worshiping Jesus with us and pressing in, and watch what he'll do. You'll be blown away. Let's worship the Lord.